UX Podcast Episode 67. Hello. Hello. You're listening to UX Podcast. <laughs> With strange voices. <laughs> I'm uh, Pat Axpom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Oh, we did this backwards. This is where we say, I'm James Roy Lawson. That's okay. Oh. Does it matter? Okay. <laughs> no, it doesn't really. No. But I think they've got the message. I think so. Yeah. I, they know what they're listening to. Yeah. Um, I'll jump straight in to say that today's episode is sponsored by RevRise. RevRise is Google Analytics, but for web forms, and tells you where the users are having difficulties or dropouts. I can't say difficulties very well. I noticed that last week when I said the sponsor thing. <laughs> Go to RevRise.com. I'll edit it. Slash UX podcast to find out more. <laughs> oh, you may have to read that again, actually. Do you reckon? Do you think they, do you think they won't want to sponsor us anymore if we leave this kind of poor level quality? <laughs> You're right. Now, let's do this again. Today's episode is sponsored by RevRise. RevRise is Google Analytics, but for web forms and tells you where the users are having difficulties or dropouts. Go to revrise.com slash UX pod. <laughs> no, I can't. That's twice now, and you're stuck. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a 10 minute start to this show. Sponsored by RevRise. You can, fi- <laughs> you can find them at revrise.com slash UX podcast. <laughs> okay. We're uh, we're about to uh, interview someone, and I hope we compose ourselves before mm. we actually do it. Yes, <laughs> uh, we're going to be calling up uh, Anna Dahlström. Yeah, who is Swedish? I think we uh, well, we think she is. Yeah. We'll check. We'll ask her and um, and, and check. But it looks mm-hmm. like she is from her LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk to her about um, um, UX deliverables. Um, I stumbled upon her presentation on SlideShare um, about about this topic, UX deliverables, yep. um, where she busts a few myths about what it is and gives a whole heap load of advice about mm. how you can improve or rework your UX deliverables um, to, to get where you want to go. And I'm always curious as to what, how I've met people on Twitter. So I actually ah. uh, read through my history on Twitter and found my first tweet to her. So I have a story about that. Oh, ah, cool. As well. Yeah. yeah. I um I never tweeted to her before, so it was a it's one of those kind of suddenly find something, look at the who present who who did the present presentation, and then realize, oh, well, they there's people in common. Here. I probably should have talked to her before, mm. but I hadn't. So this will be fun. Cool. Should we ring her? Yes. Hello. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hello. There. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Oh, we're fine. Yeah, we're fine. We, we, we just realized that uh, we're not going to be arguing a lot with you because we've been reading on the stuff that you do and we basically agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> That's quite nice to begin it that way, at yeah. least. But otherwise, I'm ready for a fight. Excellent. Um, and we were also trying to f- figure out what nationality are you real? But you see, you are Swedish, aren't you? I am Swedish, yes. Yeah. Um, I moved to London about eight years ago, actually. Almost on the day eight years ago. And I lived in Denmark for six years before that. Right. Just to confuse things. Exactly. That's what confused us at first. Yeah. And, you, and you come from southern Sweden. Yeah, from Lund. Yeah. Uh, so, James, I think, James, you were the one who found Anna's presentation about UX deliverables. Yeah. And uh, then I realized who you were, Anna, because I actually had to search Twitter to find the first conversation I had with you, uh, which I'm betting you won't remember. Uh, because it was Time. it was me commenting in August twenty eighth two thousand twelve on another conversation you were having with Andrea Resmini, uh, right? And it was about uh, you were ha- you were preparing slides with a, a grumpy kid and a praying otter. Oh yes, and he, and, yes. And he suggested a wombat. That is true. Mm. Um, I haven't yet found a wombat, but I still have the uh, praying otter in sometimes. Okay, excellent. <laughs> it's working quite well. 
the praying otter is working quite well. There you go. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and I do love the slides that you put out. And you, I, I know you usually make a point of it to... Actually, in the in the presentation that we uh, that initiated this talk is that you uh, actually have a slide that looks l really really bad in the beginning, yes. <laughs> and then you make an example of why that is bad. Yeah, yeah that's quite funny actually. Yeah. Way of starting it. Yeah, this is the UX deliverables um, presentation. Yeah, uh, but, um, you've you've been you've been going around giving this talk a little bit now this last half year maybe. I've given it twice now. I'm uh -huh. giving it again in March. Um, it's through an organisation called Event Handler here in London. Yeah. Um, and it's going down quite well, actually. There's a lot of scepticism always in the beginning if I'm just going to talk about how to make pretty documents. But then people leave incredibly happy with what we're actually covering as well and why the presentation of deliverables actually matter. Yeah. So what what what's the kind of what led you to be inspired to do this presentation about UX deliverables? It comes from my own experience actually. When I started, when I moved to London, my first job was in um, a company that was doing tax applications for HMRC, and that company had quite a set process and templates in terms of how to do flows and wireframes and everything. So in terms of my creativity, I didn't developed that much in that company I was doing lots of very analytical and functional things but in terms of presenting my work the kind of the templates for all of those things are kind of been set in stone already mm. and then I moved into working agency side and as you know working agency side is incredibly fast-paced and I was working on multiple projects and with multiple clients at any given point in time and all of a sudden, I had to put a lot of work into how I actually presented my work as well. Okay. So both, both on paper, but also kind of verbally as well, and actually selling in why doing presenting a piece of work in a certain way actually mattered and made sense. Mm. So that's kind of where it came from. And then also from um, getting feedback from other people before in terms of how I've noticed over the years how clients respond to the way you present your work and how internal people respond to how you present your work as well. So that's the kind of basis for, for it, really. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, you write in a lot of time... Well, the original job you were... The work you were doing there is very much production, in-house in production, following templates yeah. and so on. Um, which a lot of people, I mean, that's what a lot of people spend their time doing on the agency side as well. Mm. They spend their time yes. producing, and a lot of people find that uh, a very comfortable role. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but um, no, you obviously didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, not initially. I mean, doing developing my skills in terms of how to do wireframes and um, working across different kinds of brands and different types of types of solutions as well that came quite easily but it was the more kind of strategic more experience planning pieces that were a bit more kind of difficult to do where you need to incorporate a lot of thinking into something visually and something that's actually going to sell the work into the client as well right so that's the part that came a little bit it took me a little bit longer to find my way and that was mainly because everyone I was working with was so amazing so <laughs> and I looked at that work and looked at my work and went hmm I've got a bit to improve here Ah, you should never compare yourself with others. No, I know, but you do. <laughs> but but yeah. then you've been in the business quite a while then. When did you actually start calling yourself a UX person? Calling myself a UX person I first did when I moved to London. Um, when I was studying in Denmark, so my background is computer science and business administration from Copenhagen's business school. And back then, I didn't know of the terminology information architect and UX designer. I'm not even sure that existed back then. Um, mm. But it was first when I moved in or moved to London that I kind of became familiar with those with those actual terms. I've been doing UX-related works in various forms beforehand, but this was really when I started becoming a UX designer or information architect, as we initially called ourselves. Yeah. Right, it's such interesting. We um we we talked about that last week, uh, last or two weeks ago in the last um, episode of UX podcast um, about IA, um, UX and IA, and mm. um, we had a discussion based on an article about whether 
um, UX hood, um, <laughs> stunted um, information architecture, whether it kind of smothered it out. And um, both, both um, mine and Per's experiences is that um, information architecture was was something that clients bought until around kind of two thousand five six time, um, and then they kind of started becoming more interested in buying UX. Mm. Yeah, and there was a like a, a shift there. <laughs> it was the same stuff. Often the same stuff they were buying from the same people. Just the, the sales process changed. Yeah, just a different terminology, really. Right, and a broader terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so in your presentation, you are talking a lot about well, that's the basis of the presentation about UX deliverables, and there is of course there's always a discussion about what what is UX and what does it mean and can you really have that role? Can you really be a UXer or are you an information architect? interaction designer or researcher or usability engineer really and just calling yourself a UXer and why why do you need that umbrella term really if you have the specialist roles and some of us would argue then that UX is not about the deliverables well the ultimate delivery is the happy user or the content user or uh, the bottom line that you actually make a profit out of your site but the way I'm uh, interpreting it is, is that you're making a case for not doing it in the same way at all times but having different deliverables based on what you're trying to accomplish and based on what stakeholders wa- uh, really need, based on their, what their goals are. Uh, but I know a lot of people have in their toolbox, this is what I do. Right, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's one element of it. But the point I'm making more in, in the presentation is around um, kind of simple ways and simple ways of actually adapting the way that you present your work to to the reader. So... It's about um, both the presentation in terms of how it actually looks on paper, but also what you do verbally. Mm. And what I've seen, so in the last three years, I've been freelancing at quite a lot of different places. And you see different ways of doing things at different places. And you come across a lot of different UX team approaching things in a different way as well. And Mm. with that, um, you can often find some things that would just help you speed up the process. Because I completely agree. And that's, Part of the point I'm making in the presentation as well. You know, it's not about producing pretty deliverables. That's not the end goal, and it's not about spending an enormous amount of time on your deliverables. Mm-hmm. But there's simple things we can do in terms of how we do those deliverables that not only make them kind of easier and more pleasing on the eye for for the for the reader, but also makes it easier to sell in that kind of work and reuse that work across multiple projects going mm-hmm. forward. So a lot of the time, actually, I come across agencies and companies where they don't necessarily have set templates in place and they start from scratch on every single project. And that obviously means that you're, you are spending a lot of time setting up documents that could be set up already from the beginning and saving you a bit of time. And it's also about finding your way of doing things and finding your way of communicating your thinking and making sure that clients know to some degree what to expect um but also that you yourself go through a certain kind of process when it comes to doing your work right i think i think um well what we've seen in recent years is of course the move towards um um a more agile uh, way of working and um you you're working project teams that are um cross-functional and um cross the boundary between agency and client um yes um for example i mean both me and pair at the moment the, the main projects we're sat in um, are agile-like projects where we spend a lot of time sat in the room with everyone else in the project, um, right. and uh, well, I don't, I pretty much you, know, you agree with this. That that's that's the most effective way of working when you're sat in a room where you can have a conversation together and and iterations or ideas or um, deliverables are produced and and reworked and scrapped and moved forward or parked um, multiple times maybe in the same little session during the morning um, as opposed to the the how it used to be more when you kind of you get a you have an agreement you sign off on on this is what we're going to order the client says and then you set about having meetings internally in your agency trying to work out you know what's going to work best and what they're expecting and then you Package it prettily right. and, and you send it away. Hmm. And you like you almost have these agreements. Well, back then you had well, we want three personas and we want seven pages of interaction design mm. and whatever number you can think of of something else that you want to deliver. Mm. And it was very very specific. Uh, whereas now I'm moving into well, really producing whatever is going to help the developer today to do the best yeah. work that he Completely. can do. Mm. Yeah. 
completely. And the way mm. that you guys are working now is definitely the way I think we should ideally well work. But mm. as we all know, not every single place has the opportunity to work in such an ideal way. And sometimes right. it is the more kind of approach where you for one reason or another, need to hand over a set of wireframes to developers who are yeah. going to be based in a different country. Yes, So exactly. it's about making sure that you are kind of delivering that piece of work done in the way that's going to work the best with those developers. And that can be anything from sketches that are made into a, a prototype or sketches going into a document that is then annotated, whatever the format is. There's always mm. things that we can do to make sure that we do... Like kind of not the minimum amount of work, but the right amount of work to achieve the right outcome for the project and the team in question. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because what you're providing is is always going to be um, helping someone take the next step. Mm. Exactly. Um, so if you're yeah, if you're doing a wireframe, then that's that the goal of that is to help whoever you're handing the wireframe to, mm. wherever yeah. they're at. It's helping them understand and go forward, so we can then all move forward and, and go forward. Yeah. And if we're handling over documents that we present to a client and they then need to kind of review it internally, it's also making sure that we make the best use of the client's time and we focus their attention on what's actually the most important thing. So that's part of what I cover in this workshop as well. How can we pull out certain things visually by, mm. for example, using a bold typography and a different color to draw the attention of the eye of, of the reader to certain points in the documents? So it's just those tiny little delight details that can help us kind of produce our work and get it across in the best, in the best and most effective mm. ways to people. I mean, we, us, all three of us um, have an advantage in that we're freelancers or we're yeah. self-employed. Um, people who are working in agencies, employed in agencies, you've got the thing there where you can't always choose your clients. Uh, I mean, we we can't always choose our clients, but uh, <laughs> theoretically, yes, we can. Um, and and some clients um, are a lot more ready and prepared to to work a bit more openly, um, a bit more agile or sprint based or whatever you want to call it, um, compared to others who, due to their own internal organisations, they just they just can't deal with that. They need to have something they can then show off or run onwards. Uh, sometimes, actually, even the customer understands. Uh, the, the dilemma I'm having. So mm. one of the projects I'm, I'm working with right now, actually, I had to offer, sort of in the way I described earlier, we have two usability tests, we have seven mm. wireframes on these types of mm. pages. But we sort of agreed under the table to to that, yeah, these hours, but whatever works best, do it that way. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. they, he just needed that to show to his bosses, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> mm. Mm. I think this is what we. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned to Per in, the, in our little pre-chat um, about maybe we're talking here um, more, um, more. Maybe we're talking more about um, UX tactics rather than UX deliverables. Mm. Uh, yes, because I, I was reflecting on the so the project I'm working on just now, uh, where um, I'm I've made. I've I've allowed the the team to work or I encourage the team to work in a certain way um in order to get buy in in the team for my concept. Yes, because I need our project team to basically be um in agreement about the concept and to understand the concept so they can then go off and sell it to their organization. Mm. Because me as a, as a consultant in this group, I'm, I've not got the the mandate or the ability or the time to go off and 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 get buying from everywhere else. So I need them to be part of that. So I've I've kind of cut some corners, um, you know, on the long journey. Because tactically, I need them all to really, really like this and really, really think it's a good idea to go forward. And then I'll I'll change track a little bit later to include some um, other aspects and maybe to kind of challenge them a bit in their thinking. Well, they've already bought into exactly. my idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, domination. Absolutely. <laughs> God, <laughs> reveal too much. No. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we, we are we're playing when we when we when we move away from the the pure deliverables area. You know, the producing the wireframes or the running a user test or whatever it is. Then we are we are UX tacticians is what we become. Exactly, and I think that's the kind of main message between or of my workshop as well is that whatever we do in one way or another we are selling it to whoever is going to pick up that document in whatever format it is and I've had a point in terms of that we can't 
sometimes we're kind of working with clients where certain things don't go in a lot of the way. When we have problems with clients, there's often something we can do to accommodate those or go, kind of go past them. And I've had situations before when I've been told that the client is not used to seeing wireframe, they don't really understand them. And to that, I always kind of respond, well, it depends on how we do it. And it's just about finding a way to make sure that they really understand the work. So in this particular case, we printed everything out and laid it out on the table and walked through so we could actually be there in person and point to certain places. And they absolutely loved it. So everything can be accomplished with the right Mm. approach. It's just about understanding those little things that you can Mm. do to make your work Mm. better as well. Yeah, I included uh, in a presentation the other week, I actually included photographs of the whiteboard. Yeah. Um, you know, because we agreed that 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 what we'd scribbled up on the whiteboard mm. communicated what we needed. Mm. And it actually didn't need to be more complicated than that or more pretty than that. Mm. No, um, exactly. And that's, that's really free. That's kind of a real free sense of freedom you get when you do when you come to that conclusion and, and you, you do the presentation, you realise, yeah, no, that did work. I can talk around that and people have understood. Mm. Um, yeah. Instead of getting into the arguments about being the wrong shade of green or you've not got enough purple or whatever. No, exactly. Um, yeah, I love the point you guys are making here, which is really, it's not the wireframe, it's how you communicate the wireframe. It's how you talk yeah. around it. And I think that's a competency that you ex- people need to have that we don't always talk about. The ability to be, uh, how do you say it, pedagogical? Uh, educational. <laughs> educational, be, be, be being able to actually explain stuff to other people mm. so that they understand it. Mm. very much so mm. and I guess that's what that, that, and that's, that's what you're saying Anna is that the way that you actually then make your deliverables so that p- other people understand it yes mm. completely yeah. and I worked in a lovely agency last year where they do a lot of their work on, on boards and they present those boards to the client and then when they need to send out, out the document for kind of a board review that goes into a presentation but it's just photographs of mm. those boards going into presentation with some, mm. with some accompanying notes so Whatever the medium is, it can be completely lightweight and a very lean and agile kind of approach to it. But there's always a way that we can make sure that we are just a bit more conscious of of who we're actually presenting our work for and making sure it works for them. So it's essentially, you know, UX of our deliverables. Exactly. It's U- UX on two <laughs> levels. You're yeah. explaining it to the client and so that you can actually get to the user. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm actually, sometimes it's even, I mean, I'm, I'm currently doing a persona. And usually the way people see personas is that the developers are going to use that or the designers are going to use it to develop something and understand how they're going to design it. And the way I'm using it right now is to make the client feel confident that I've understood their target group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe the developers won't even see it, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think um, I was talking about reflecting on the, the, the whole prototype movement um, and that we're, you know, me and you, Barry, even on the show, we we spend a fair bit of time encouraging the the well, encouraging people to get quickly to prototypes mm. um, and to not waste too much time doing the other stuff, um, which is fair enough. Um, but um, um, it doesn't always work. Again, back to the communication, mm. reflecting on what we're talking about. That um, sometimes the the HTML prototype is a step too far because it's mm. it's it's too real. Exactly. Uh, for some, they they get a bit scared, maybe that oh my god, this is the finished thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas a, a, a you know a pencil sketch on some paper wouldn't scare them as much because they understand that we've not gone too far yet. We've not wasted money. We've we're still at a point where they can you can influence and, mm. and change direction. Yeah, yeah that's really reassuring. Yep. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's the whole point of, of the kind of deliverables talk as well. I'm, I'm completely against the deliverables kind of business, but there's, there's ways that we need to communicate our thinking and definition of, of insights and knowledge and kind of products and mm. services that we're defining. And mm. just as we are kind of saying that we shouldn't always go straight into into design because then we use all the kind of clients kind of get like, hooked up on kind of the colors and the typography used and the images used and all those kind of things in the same way there can be some benefit in doing some early sketching and mocking those up into something that clients can review and sit down with them in that approach absolutely mm. yeah i was thinking i was wondering now 
I mean, Anna, you've worked on um, you've worked on some pretty big projects, like the the, the Olympics, or the BBC Olympics um, um, uh, site, and you work with the Guardian, Tony Erickson, and so on. What's what's your take on the on the differences between um, when you're working with small clients to when you're working with big clients and big projects? The main difference is probably that a lot of the larger clients they have sets. Um, they have a UX team and they have set processes in place and everyone internally understands what UX is and mm. what it means and when you need to do cert- certain things. Mm. And in the smaller places, you don't always have that. So you might have one UX person or you might have no UX people at all. So it's a completely different game in terms of coming in and doing the work. It's as much about you actually explaining and educating people about how to work with UX mm. and less about the actual work that you do. Yeah, yeah. I worked in agencies before where the designers haven't really been using wireframes at all. They've had people coming in and doing the work, but they haven't actually used them. So in that case, it's no point in me kind of hammering down again, mm. well, I'm definitely going to do wireframe. Are you going to kind of work with me on that? And then on kind of visual designs, it's more about looking at how can I then help the designers do their work in a way that supports their process and the way they're used to working and slowly then introducing the benefits of kind of wireframes to kind of sell that in for, for a future project. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's, um, I think it's like a, it's like a sc- sliding scale where yeah. uh, when you're in the bigger companies, then you, you, it tends to be a, more, a little bit more defined UX role. And then you just slide down the size of, you know, size of company. You, you move into more of a coaching role, like you talk about with sitting down with the programmers. You, you kind of work, yeah. you, you pair up and you work together and you coach. Actually, and guide. Whitney Hess has a blog post about exactly the, what you're saying. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, we have to find, you have yeah. to, I haven't read that, so you have to tell me that. And then, and then when you get onto the smallest size company, you're basically a business advisor. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. So you work with business development, you even, don't yeah. even use the word UX. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. When you when you get down to the real small companies, then then yeah, you're just a you're you're a business consultant with a digital mind. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite nice the variety. <laughs> I like it. So so in my head, I'm hearing all these uh, people getting into the UX field, and they haven't worked a lot of years, and they've learned a lot of stuff in school, and they've they know how to use balsamic, and they know how to conduct a, an interview. And they hear us talking about now being flexible and, and doing hand-done uh, sketches on paper and showing that to the client. What are they thinking? Are they thinking that uh, what I learned in school is wrong? Or how, 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 how do you actually approach a project if you're, not, you're pretty unsure on what tool set is actually going to work? How do you actually choose the right tool to communicate with the client? Is that something that you learn as you go with the job? Or is there like a quick way to, to, to ascertain what, what, what the client is going to like. I'm thinking aloud here, so there's basically probably not a straight answer there. <laughs> I think most of it probably comes with actually doing the job and yeah. learning from others and see how they've approached things before. So one of the things that helped me the most when I moved agency side was actually my weekly one-on-ones when I was sat down with my mm. line manager and my kind of mentor and we were talking through work. So... I would talk through the project I was working on and kind of go, this is what we're doing, this is where we're kind of up to, these are some of the challenges I have, this is the kind of next steps, and this is what I've done so far, and this is what I'm kind of thinking of doing. Mm. And I would get that kind of, or her feedback on those kind of things. And similarly, she would talk me through her work and kind of relate back. So we would discuss the various situations we were in and discuss the appropriate tool, deliverable, methodology, whatever it might be for that project in question. So I think there's definitely, if you look at a kind of basic UX process, there's definitely things you can kind of go and say these are what would fall at at different kind of stages, but then it's looking at what's actually the value of doing that and what's actually the best use of time, budgets, and everyone's resources to get to where you need to go. Right. The more I work in this field, the more I realize how, how if you really want to call yourself a UX, you need to understand business and business value. And I'm not sure that's what people think about when they actually think about wanting to do UX. A lot of people think about, yeah, it's interaction design. Mm. And you deliver yeah. it to someone else mm. who could probably be the UXer. But I, I find it difficult. And we, I mean, we come, come back to this a lot, that 
what what the hell is UX? Well, you UX researchers or UX designers? Yeah. One's doing wireframes, one's doing user testing or use or, uh, you know. And how will clients be able to know mm. what they're ordering if they just mm. want UX? <laughs> yeah. So you just say yes, and then you you tactically guide them to yeah. actually what they need. And that, of course, is always the answer. You just say yes to whatever they want, and then you mm. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you do it your way anyway. Gig. Them down. Mm. Yeah. So, so given given the importance of of, um, of these mentor sessions um, for you, Anna, when you were um, sat um, in, in working for agencies, um, do you do any mentoring now as a freelancer, or, or you know, do you do you kind of like help maintain that that or, or give someone else that chance now you're a freelancer, or what? I do. What do, you do? Yes. Uh, when I left my permanent job uh, now three years ago, mm. I was line managing part of our UX team and I absolutely loved it. Mm. So I'm um, continuing doing mentoring, um, both kind of regularly and occasionally just kind of as a one-off for things for people that need some, some help. But it's something that I think it's given me a lot and I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to give back and actually guide a lot of other people into ways that they can progress their career and look after both their own interests but also understand the kind of broader picture of what doing UX actually means and what doing good UX actually means. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Do you do that do that kind of formally through another organisation or do you just basically you know, pick people up as you go? That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> um, I think the first person I actually mentored was someone who found me on my blog and wrote me an email and we met up for coffee and mm-hmm. I really liked her and we've continued to meet and that's now we kind of formalized mm-hmm. um, but it happens sporadically sometimes I have people coming up to me after I've done one of my workshops and saying they want some input and some help with certain things mm. um, it's very much what my best advice when it comes to a mentor is finding someone that you have a good chemistry with because it's all about the kind of personal relationship that you have yeah. with that person as, as well so it's right. not just about giving you insights into the area that you're working in it's also about actually connecting with that person and them really understanding you and you understanding them mm. so having that kind of fit that's a good that's that's a good tip um although i can instantly kind of think oh but how how do you go about interviewing people that you possibly go into mentor it's it's it feels like a uh, awkward, <laughs> yeah, awkward I, task being Swedish, I love my little fika meeting up for oh, coffee or something. Oh yeah, tell us about that UX fika. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, see, I, I didn't actually re- when I saw that, I didn't react. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, which is a kind of, mm. I mean, that, but I'm broken. Like we're all broken because yeah. I speak Swedish and English. Mm. So it's like the, yeah. I was watching the Olympics um, um, yesterday, and or this morning I think it was, and there was um, um, a Swedish skier was a female skier was going to do a downhill event, and there was a pause because someone had been injured. Um, and the Swedish skier, she was um, babbling away in Swedish to her coach. It was her way of um, relaxing, kind of coming down from the, the mental preparation level she needed to t- do the race to then backing down a level mm-hmm. to be more laid back. She just started kind of doing this babbling, funny kind of um, commentary almost about doing the ski run. Um, and the BBC commentators, they of course couldn't speak Swedish. So they were, um, they were just kind of making up what she was saying. It was only <laughs> then that I realised that somebody was speaking Swedish and somebody else was trying to understand it and didn't yeah. understand it. And you have that kind of moment yeah. of, oh, yeah. No, not everyone can understand all these mm. things being said. <laughs> no. So that's it with, UX, with the UX speaker. I didn't yeah. respond at first. I thought, oh, that's a good idea. But, but, but not, yeah. not all, li- all <laughs> listeners will understand what Fika is. So. No. So what, Anna, is Fika? Mm. Fika for me is taking a break from the kind of everyday aspect of things it can be just meeting up in the cafeteria at work or meeting up away from your desk at work and chatting about something but having something to drink maybe something nice to eat to go along with it but very much kind of meeting up socially and and chatting so normally when I come to kind of going back to the point of so to speak interviewing people for for mentorship I always suggest that we meet for coffee or for for a form of kind of um, fika yeah. And actually have a chat before, and see if if we wait for each other. Because it's as much about I need to make sure that I'm able to give the right support and the right level of time and dedication that's needed as well, and mm. can actually help that particular person. So it's very much about making sure I understand where they want to go and the challenges, or kind of situation they're in at the moment. Yes. Mm. No, that's a, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. 
And for and for those who aren't in the know, then the word fika is actually a Swedish word uh, that I know that a lot of people come from abroad love mm. uh, because everybody says we're going to have a fika, which basically means let's go have a coffee, let's have a tea break, let's have a coffee yeah. break. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's a great word, and I love that you <laughs> snatched it for UX UX mm. fika. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, you can't can't fika enough. Well, no, more fika to the people. Yeah, <laughs> especially at this time of year when it's semla season. To, oh. throw, yes. to throw more Swedish oh things into the show. <laughs> we'll we'll put up a link to your semla page Yay. on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> do so that. People will see what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought what I could ask you maybe as um, as a summing up question mm-hmm. was um, in in the presentation. Um, one of the slides says um, that people can take away three things from an hour-long presentation. Um, yes. Okay, we've been talking half an hour, so 1.5, but I mean, that's a bit unfair to say 1.5. So if we say that three things you can take away from a presentation or a podcast, what three things should we take away from today's chat? Mm. That UX deliverables is not about doing deliverables for deliverables sake, but it's about doing the right kind of work and presented in a way both on paper and verbally. Um, that makes sense for the audience and also the project in question. And the point of the UX of UX deliverables is, that's the second one, by the way, um, <laughs> is very much about finding a way that works both for you and for for the reader of your document um, or the viewer, however you you do it, um, to communicate your thinking in a way that kind of is appropriate for for that kind of person as well. And it's about finding those easy ways that you can reuse and communicate your thinking without spending a lot of time for for the kind of sake of it to make something pretty, because that should never ever be a kind of end goal. So some points where we need to be doing a bit more to make sure it looks pretty but generally it's about making sure that we're communicating things in an appropriate way that was a very long number two and number <laughs> number three it was always going to be a little unfair throwing that question uh. at you um, <laughs> at, at the end there it's like three things to take on I did joke we could have one yeah, and a half. Well, well, so well, we can leave it on well, two. What do we think? What, what did we learn today, James? Oh, you see, you got in quicker than me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I was going to ask you that, so oh. you would have to answer. <laughs> um, I, I think, well, one of my take-homes was my own little comment there about um, well, uh, UX deliverables are often UX tacticals. And that we're, yeah, it's... it's um, they're they're a vehicle that we use to get somewhere else. It's kind of the same as mm. oh, one of the ones that Anna says there. But I think we 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 spend a lot too too much time think, thinking about mm. the specifics that we need mm. to do, as opposed to where we're going to go. Mm. But it's it's kind of the same thing again. Yeah, reworded. Yeah, that's short and concise, though. <laughs> you think? <laughs> a bit unusual for me. <laughs> and I I loved the the point you were making, Anna, when you were yeah. saying that. Uh, wireframes. Uh, or people people hate or the client hates wireframes. Mm. And your your response to that was that then we just present them in a different way so that they will love them. Mm. And uh, I like that approach that you you mm. challenge the way you yeah. challenge the way I that you present present the deliverable. You don't you don't just uh, disregard the d- deliverable. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's nice. I think all those four points. And I think that actually up. leads on to. Yeah, and I just realized one one last point as well. So I didn't know how to do kind of good deliverables when I when I moved agency side but I learned and I had a great you know I looked at what other people were doing and I chatted to other people who had more experience than me and um, everyone can learn how to present their work in a way that's not only communicates the thinking but does in a does it in a really good and delightful way as well so that's really the third one that there's something it's a skill that you can learn and mm. using some of those do's and don'ts that I go through in in the deck um, really can help you kind of get into that level where, where they do add some delight mm. Mm. and that's a great job themselves as well. Yeah. I think that's perfect advice for our listeners actually because that, that's what I'm thinking that a lot of people are thinking. How do, how do I approach this? How do I learn this? And, just, and I think I, there is a slide in your presentation deck there about uh, copying, learning from others, copy others, yeah. how they do it. 
Yeah. And, uh, and then just go out and do it. Try yeah. it. It's by, and have, it's, fun, have try, fun with it yeah, as well. Exactly. There's loads if you look on Pinterest and just Google things. You can see lots of ways of how people are being creative in their work. And I think that's for, for one year when I started working agency side, I was working on one client. That was the projects weren't very creative, but and I still wanted to be that kind of creative and learn new things. So I found ways of instilling a bit of kind of creativity to meet my own personal needs as well, and kind of my own goals, and make sure I kind of developed even if the projects were quite similar for a whole year. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think um, just reflecting on the um, 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 don't spend like unnecessary time. Um, Tweaking small details. I think no. the times the times when I maybe do do some of that is when I've realised or learned over the years that certain things are best best to set right in the beginning. Um, yeah, we talked about that with templates or, or getting ready. I mean, you going into start of a project, you know full well that if we if we do this kind of I don't know, um, if we create maybe a um, um, some kind of sketch template. Oh yeah, throw that yeah. one out that is specifically tailored for this project that might save us lots and lots of times in subsequent rounds when we're doing subsequent um, features and so on um so it's worth putting a little bit of extra time in that in the beginning maybe um, yeah. so that that kind of um um extra time i think maybe is useful sometimes when you've you've learned through your experience that doing a good job with something in the beginning means that it's going to save you um or going to make it easier to communicate and easier to produce things later on mm. yes and that's what i've it's been amazing to see when I've run this workshop because I've had them do, um, I believe it's four exercises and quite extensive exercises, but the amount of work they've done in just two hours of kind of mm. exercises has been amazing. And the work they've delivered, even if it hasn't been fully completed, you know, wireframes and presentations and so forth, it's been a really good start. And completely to your point, if you set things up and spend a tiny bit of time up front just making sure you've got, you know, your elements in order and the basis of every kind of page template in place, so using layers, etc., then you can accomplish really great things with very little time and it kind of helps you um, throughout the actual process of defining your document, whatever that document is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. We got we got a lot of little tips there at the end. So the three became five, I think it was. That was great. <laughs> so, so when are you coming to Stockholm for your UX speaker? Oh, I don't know. It's on the. Um, I'm planning out when I'm going to do my little UX weekend, really kick it off. But I haven't been in Stockholm for a year, so I should definitely come quite soon. Mm-hmm. I haven't in been in London for a year, so you know, we could swap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be pretty stupid, though, if you go. At no, no, same no, time. no, I don't mean <laughs> at the same time. God. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Wave at the airport. <laughs> yeah, from the air. Excellent Thanks. advice today. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And we'll, um, well, we'll we'll hope to meet you at a UX speaker, and we'll put yes. up some details and some links um, on the show notes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. That was fun. That's yes, always, it was. It's always fun talking to people. That's why we do this. Yes. And I, I think I gave away that I had, I had there's 167 slides in Anna's presentation and yeah. I did not have time to go through them all actually beforehand, I but I had some I had some idea of what she was well I, I think I managed to get to slide 50 or 60 or something uh, before because I was hmm. <laughs> going through them before lunch hmm. it's afternoon now when we're recording. Oh, it's, an, it's an hour long presentation and, uh, oh, and a lot of the slides of course are many pictures mm. just with exactly. the, the text so that you, oh, you go through and you want to try and understand what she's yeah. saying at each picture as well yeah. but it looks like it'd be a good presentation to listen to a good workshop mm. yeah I think it's, I always love these workshops and I've, I've attended a few where there's it's really intense and you mm. produce a lot of stuff and that's what she was talking about in the end and a lot of people really get into it and if you're a lot of people you can also produce so much mm. that you didn't realize that you can produce in that amount of time yeah now, these yeah. kind of um, ad hoc teams that you produce yeah. during these workshops are really quite good um, fun. Mm. But um, now, interesting with that, you know, again, we've got another UX thing here, which isn't really what it is. Right. You know, as in UX deliverables, mm. it seems like UX itself. You know, what is UX? What is UX deliverable? Well, uh, UX deliverable isn't actually a wireframe. Exactly. It isn't I'm, actually I'm, a, a, a result of a user survey or whatever. I'm um, trying to figure out. Because I mean, neither of us have gone to a UX school, but nowadays, I no. guess there is there is UX school basically. Well, in some sense, because you can, 
I haven't seen an, formally a UX education, but information architecture there is, the usability yeah. there is yeah. uh, at university level. Interaction design, of course. Right. Human interaction. And people uh, graduate from those and they call themselves UXers and they go out and know exactly what UX deliverables are. Uh, then that's going to conflict with our view of what UX deliverables are. Mm. But we were first. <laughs> we were first. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, claiming I'm ownership kidding, now. Of course. <laughs> you aren't really, though. That's the thing. You're only half kidding. <laughs> of course I'm only half kidding. That's what, because I, I, need, I need the debate. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but uh, in a sense, what, well, what I'm worried about is, the, the, of course, the results. If if I see my results as a UX designer, the result is that I produce the deliverable, mm. then I'm not doing a good enough job because my result should be something else. It's something beyond the deliverable. It's something that mm. is the end goal for the client or for the user or the combination of those. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that well, probably that is taught in school as well, but I'm just worried. Oh, but the, but I'm just worried that there there's so much technical stuff around how you produce yeah. a wireframe and the specifics of usability and what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. That I don't like. No. But this, this is what I, I hinted at or talked about at the beginning of the chat to Anna, that um, you know, some, some people are basically built to produce. Now, there, there are people who are very comfortable with producing deliverables mm-hmm. or you know, a physical deliverable, like a wireframe or a sketch or an icon or, a, or you know, whatever it is. Some people aren't. And, or you, and you need both of these sides. Um, and... You know, I, I don't think we should try and. It's, it's a bit like the kind of Pegasus and Unicorn thing that we talked about a while back. That I don't think you can force um, everyone to be of one particular vanilla flavor of of UXer. Yeah, we can't all be UX strategists or UX tacti- tacticians or um, you know um, interaction designers or whatever whatever the the thing is. We 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 can't force everyone to be the one ultimate role. Exactly. Um, but what we've been talking about today, the need for someone who who is the 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 UX designer kind of or the, the mentor role or the UX guardian role? It's more towards the UX strategist mm. that we've had we had debates about and talks about before. Um, that is needed, but it's um, it's not the sole role. Uh, True, and we talked about we, that's what we said about as well. We've you know developers and can developers do the whole job? You know, with prototyping mm. and design the rest of it. We're well, that's another thing I realized that. In any team, and I'm guessing, I, mean, I haven't even asked you about the team that you're with, that you're sitting with, but it's like there's one UXer and there's seven developers <laughs> because that's always the way it is. Yeah. So if there's one person who does interaction design, that's the UXer in that project. Mm. Now, if we could spit it out a bit and realize that maybe we need four UXers to every five developers, mm. then maybe we could get some. I mean, probably that's sort of the my end goal with actually making people realize how important these roles are together with the other ones, of course. I'm not trying to make the other ones less worthy, Mm. but I'm just trying to get across the notion that if we get more UXers into the project, uh, and I'm actually bringing some in in, in, for certain sprints, uh, then then that helps us reach our goals faster. Yeah. Because it helps us communicate better to all stakeholders. Yeah. Well, I think it also. I mean, we're to answer your question that you didn't ask. Well, you did. Um, we're mainly developers. I think it's um, mm. five of eight that are yeah. developers or system-based people, mm. um, and then three of us. Uh, there's two two UXers and one um, um, AD, art director. Right. Um, but um, um, yeah, it's. You do. The thing is that you, is one individual UXer can't store all of the information a UXer needs. Um, the internet helps, mm. um, and and you know templates or or ways of working that you've mm. cooked up and and used previously in projects helps. Mm. But you know when when I need to when I need to kind of refresh my, myself, or we need to talk about like icons. I need to I need to check up and look again about all the pros and cons of iconography, right? Because I can't remember all of it all the time. Mm. And when you sat there in workshop like environments or in a sprint, mm. I, I can't remember it all. And I I'm, I know there's an awful lot of pros and cons. Uh, some of them I'll remember, but I, if I'm going to deal with it now, then I need to check up on it again. So and having two, multiple UXs, of course, speeds up that exactly. work. Exactly. I think I mentioned actually last year I I got into some situations where I was pair designing, 
Mm. So, and I think, I, I honestly believe that in what I could accomplish in an eight-hour day, we could accomplish two people in two, two to three hours because mm. we were doing it together and we were like uh, just <laughs> touching base all the time, uh, bouncing ideas off each other. It was, mm. it was fantastic. So, mm. so much faster being two than being one. So you, you actually save time. Mm. Being being more people, which um, sounds sounds wrong, but it's right. Well, then at the same time, you can be so much faster being two rather than eight. Ah, very good point. Mm. Yes, I'm seeing that. That's what we're doing in the, in this project. We're mm. we're spending a, a fair bit of time as a team of eight, mm. but then we're having a, a day a week where it's just me and the mm. um, AD. Right, we have that where as we well. Play, where we play catch up effectively with we call it reflection on the work we've done, the workshop like format. We we then get into to producing a bit of extra material or researching. Mm. A little things a bit deeper so that we can then take that to the next workshop-like exactly. session. It's funny how similar we work right now. Mm, we have interesting. Those meetings we actually call design mise. Uh-huh. How would you translate mise um, to English? Oh, God. Well, mise is kind of cosy. Um, yeah, is, what is the s- verb? S- to, co- yeah, to, to cosy almost up. Almost snuggle. So. Oh, design snuggle. Design oh, snuggle. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, I know that, you know, you're going to be buying domains after this podcast. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> You're probably right. That's the worst <laughs> thing. Because Anna already has UX Fika, but I can get design snuggle. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we've lost him, listeners. We're not going to get Pear back now because I, I can see on his face he's, oh. he's gone into his you know domain buying mode and he's, there's going to be a WordPress site up before we finish recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think we're actually... I think we've got, to, we've got to wrap up now mm. before we end up boring listeners to death with your personal quirks. <laughs> so... Um, thank you again to RevRise for sponsoring today's um, show. You can check out their form analytics tool at revrise.com slash UX podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, should I do the outro? You do the outro because okay. I have nothing. No, you're busy demi- buying I have domains. nothing on my screen. You're, de- you're buying domains, Leave aren't you? Leave me alone. I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love to hear from you. Name um, information. <laughs> then you can find us pretty much everywhere as um, UX podcast. Um, including uxpodcast.com and on that website you'll find um, all the links um, and resources um, that we've mentioned um, in this show plus there's an archive of every single episode of UX Podcast that we've done if you've enjoyed UX Podcast then please don't tell anyone let's keep it our little secret (laughs) remember to keep moving I'll see you on the other side (laughs) 